0: Guys, welcome back to the Relax Running Podcast. Tyson Popplestone here. And today, I've got a mate of mine on for a chat about his rapid progression through the sport of triathlon. Now, Simon Hearn, if you haven't heard of him before, he's an Australian triathlete. And uh, his rise to the performances that he's producing at the moment has been pretty unbelievable. Now, I actually know Simon through a mutual friend. And uh, last time I saw him, we were sitting at a pub in St. Kilda watching a mate get tormented at his Bucks party and... Simon was telling me a little bit about his plan to move up to Queensland. And he mentioned the fact he wanted to go up there to really focus on his triathlon performance. And I I didn't really think too much of it. I thought, oh, hey, good weather for that. I had no idea the kind of level that this guy was performing at. And in fairness, at the time, he probably was nowhere near this level. So it's been really inspiring and uh, really motivating to watch some of the performances that he's done for You Ironman fans out there, this guy's best time, I'm pretty sure I've read this right, is eight hours and 11 minutes for the Ironman. Now, after a 3.6K swim, 180K bike ride, I noticed he ran the marathon at the end of both of those in two hours and 50 minutes, which you runners will will have a great appreciation for. Now, uh, don't run away because it's a triathlete, not a distance runner. I want you to know that the reason I reach out to triathletes is because the endurance world shares a, a whole lot of similarities in many ways with um, the triathlete world or the triathlon world. And uh, I meant to say the running world shares a lot in common with the triathlon world in the endurance sense. So I really wanted to pick his brain around mindset. I wanted to find out how he dealt with the, the rapid rise in his performance and running shoulder to shoulder with blokes that was not too long ago uh, he was sitting there in awe of. And it was really good to, to get an understanding of how he deals with pre-race nerves and mid-race nerves and Diet and mindset, and uh, and also tap into his training, which I also find interesting. So, hey, regardless of whether you're a triathlete or a runner, there's plenty in this one to be able to take away. So, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Make sure you jump over to Instagram and shoot him some love if you enjoyed what he had to say, and uh, we'll have him on again real soon. So, sit back, relax, enjoy this episode with the great man, Australian Ironman. I was going to say Australian Ironman champion. He's not yet that. But he is a champion of a bloke, and he's an Australian Ironman. So hey, enjoy this one with myself and Simon Hearn. Dude, I was am pumped to uh, I was pumped to catch up because I was actually you know Jocker. Do you know my mate Jocker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. reckon he's James O'Connor. Yeah, James O'Connor, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. he um he messaged <laughs> me the other day. He's like, bro, do you know the kind of times that Simon Hearn's putting up now? And I was like. No, no, I haven't actually. Um, I haven't been following the triathlon scene too closely. What's going on, mate? You dropped some of the times that um that you'd been doing. I thought, okay, and then I I caught up with Brent uh, Brent Ford, mutual friend of ours, the other day, and yep. uh, I saw that you were on his podcast. And I was like, mate, as if I'm not going to message uh, the great man Simon because, <laughs> dude, I reckon the last time I saw, saw you would have been at uh, a, a Bucks party that you and I went to in about it was 2017. An- Andy O'Connor. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I remember speaking to you and Jock in the um in the pub that day, um, and while Andy was in his little cage in the middle of St Kilda, <laughs> getting fed beers through a funnel. That was
0: one of, was uh, one of the uh, one of the creepiest things I've ever seen. It's actually so Jocka uh, Jock's getting married. Uh, it's been postponed a couple of times with bloody COVID stuff, but I I yeah. think it's at the end of next year. So he said to me, he's like, mate, like you can organize the Bucks, but if I, see, if I see anything take place that's even close to what happened at Andrew O'Connor's Bucks party, he goes, mate, just consider the friendship done and the, the invite to the wedding will be retracted.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that scarred a few people, to be honest. I've um, still, I've still because, got some scabs. Yeah, yeah, because I, that was like the first Bucks party I'd been to. And I was like, yes. this is for one um (laughs) but um well yeah i got married uh three weeks ago and we were meant to get married this weekend just gone um but basically you know more than half of our guests were going to be coming from victoria so we had to can and um we just did like an elopement thing um, but I had Mark who was Andy's best man in ch- as my best man. Oh. And I was like, no, no bucks party. Like we'll just go for a run and go get brunch and like, just hang out. Like, I don't, I don't want to bucks. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when we decided that, you know, we we're just going to do the elopement cause it was too hard. Um, Mark goes something like, Oh damn, shame about the bucks
0: party. I said, I wasn't having a bucks party. He goes, <laughs> Oh Yeah. <laughs> As soon as you mentioned it was Mark Bormannas, I thought, mate, there is there is zero chance that that bloke wouldn't have organised you a nice little bucks party, even no matter yeah. how highly uh, requested it was. That there was no bucks, yeah. he would he would make sure. I'm surprised he didn't organise something via Zoom. Actually, knowing him. Well, I think I because think he's got he's got the he's got Ray his little
1: kid now, so I think he, between that and work and stuff, he's too busy to, he's too busy with it all, uh, which is good for me. But I, we're still going to try and have like a party next year when we can. So I think I still probably won't get away with it. We'll wait and see. I think he's actually moving overseas. Oh, where's he off to? Um, Denmark, I believe. I is- think his his partner he got a big corporate gig with the company over there. So they, they're going to move to Denmark next okay. year. Pretty
0: soon, I think. Smart man. Yeah. I'm pretty keen to move to Denmark yeah. right now. Melbourne's <laughs> not that appealing. <laughs> oh,
1: Are you, you guys have heard it
0: so rough. You're in Queensland, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, we
1: moved to, um, like, basically Malulaba um, about four years ago, four and a bit years ago. Yeah. Yeah, we did a year of work after we finished uni down in Melbourne and then um, I'd kind of suggested to Hannah, I was like, how do you feel about you know moving somewhere where the weather's a bit nicer and it's nice for training and it's got like you know just the environment for it um and she was like yeah we'll give it a go and then we got some jobs up here and we moved so
0: yeah we love it we love it here. yeah it's awesome well it's actually it's funny because my memory of uh sitting in that pub that you mentioned before at andy's bucks was i think that was just before you moved because i remember talking to you and you were you were having a chat about um, some plans that yeah. you had to get up to Queensland. I'm pretty sure, unless I've just made up yeah. that memory. But what was that? That would have been 2017, uh, I think. That box yeah, was. no, you yeah, you're right. Yeah, must have been.
1: We must have moved not long after, not long after that.
0: Yeah. How old are you?
1: Here? I'm 27. I'll be 28 this this month. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Yeah, it must have been just after. We must have had the plans pretty much laid out. I can't remember when the Bucks party was. Um, but, um, yeah, anyway, w- we moved and we were like, well, look, if we don't like it, um, being, both of us being physios, like we can get jobs pretty, pretty well anywhere. Uh, if we don't like it, we'll just move back. Like what's, what's the worst that can happen? And then we got up here and we're like, this is kind of our – kind of jam you know just like everyone's up early exercising and the beach is 10 minutes away and they're all beautiful beaches and so we just really like it yeah man,
0: what a great setup so just to to lay the cards on the table this is going to be as educational for me as what it's going to be for um you know our audience who's listening but don't know about you just yet because uh, triathlon scene is is one that I'm fascinated in by default because uh, I, I, I got involved in triathlon when I was about 13 that was sort of my entrance that was where I found out I could run uh, because the swimming leg yeah, was, yeah. was scraping through the bike <laughs> leg was okay and then I managed to take a few scalps on the on the run but I think eventually I was living over in WA when I uh, when I got involved in the triathlon scene and there was there was one too many shark stories that and I thought you know what. I might just I might just stick with the duath ones in the future. There's not yeah. <laughs> there's not so many yeah. sharks. So I um I've got an appreciation for it, and I had um I've had uh, uh, the great man Macca. He came on a, a few months ago to have I a saw chat. That. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, mate, I've completely blanked on her name. Like the best female triathlete of all time <laughs> from Australia. <laughs> what I can't remember Miranda Carfrey or Emma Carney? or Emma Carney is, is what it yeah, was. No, no, no. I, can't, yeah. I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast because I was so excited to get her on. I can't, I'll just have to edit yeah. that part out. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's really interesting talking to these guys because Maka was, I don't know how well you know these guys, but he was telling me his introduction was sort of the, the reverse. Like I think he was a pretty good cross country runner as a junior and then um, made his way into the triathlon scene. And I don't know, Emma, she said that she came from a distance running background as well. And it's always I'm always fascinated to to know the journey a little bit about how people find their way into the triathlon scene because I remember when we last caught up, you were chatting about you know heading up to, to Queensland to do your training. I didn't know what level you were competing at. I didn't know how well you were going. Yeah. I didn't know what your goals heading up there were. But but just as a bit of a, a blanket overview as to how your career has progressed, do you just want to give us a little bit of a a little bit of a walkthrough of of those last four years because. Uh, I guess as a bloke who's been standing on the outside, your progress has just been mind-blowing. It's like I was doing little fist pumps when I was looking through some of your finish times the other day, but um, I don't know how much of a surprise those times have been to you. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, a lot of
1: hard work's gone into it over multiple years. So I guess it's not a surprise to me. Some of the race results, like not a big surprise, you know, because most you'd know from your running stuff it's like well if you haven't shown it in training you can't expect it then just like go and be amazing on race day and do stuff that you've never been capable of in training or at least expressed in training you know um but I guess like my my um introduction to triathlon was like I I ran cross cross country at school but like I didn't even make a cross country team until like year 11 year 12 um but I loved training and I'd go to, I'd go to swim training and stuff and I'd, I'd never make a swim team. I had really no intention, to be honest, of making teams. But I loved training and I loved the process. And then I think through late high school, I got um, more involved in running and it was like just a way for me to keep myself sane while I was trying to study. Um, and it helped. I don't know. I'd get up and run in the morning like, you know, five to seven Ks every morning, like, I don't know, Forty and five minutes or something like that, and um, it was just a way that uh, I would stay fit for. I was playing AFL at the time, basketball, all sorts of different sports, um, and I just enjoyed the process of training. And so I mostly grew up playing team sports, and then I did a I did a triathlon. I think I it was probably watching Macca to be honest. I, I watched the whole Iron Iron Man with Dad um, on. On TV, as as many kids would have growing up on, like I think it was on Channel Nine, and you'd see these battles and these guys like had just done these epic swims and bike rides, and now they're running a marathon shoulder to shoulder. And um, I'm pretty sure it was probably one of Macca's races um, that I was watching with Dad, and I was like, "Wow, that's pretty cool." And so I did it. I did a triathlon. I got a road bike um an old road bike and i did a triathlon at the end of year 10 um at school and just like one of the gate raid series ones in melbourne and i've got some photos of that it's pretty funny i look absolutely (laughs) miserable because it was cold it was rainy and i had my mates surfing wetsuit. so it wasn't like a swimming wetsuit it was a surfing wetsuit i had um i didn't even have clip-in bike shoes i just wore my runners on the bike so I wasn't like, I didn't know anything about cycling or the sport, to be honest, and didn't have any of the right gear. And then, um, but I enjoyed it and I finished. And I was like, I think I said to my dad, I was like, um, I, I feel like I could do that again. Like I didn't really push myself to the limit, but I was like, I really had fun. It was great once I warmed up after the swim and stuff. And and anyway, then I studied, um, studied hard to, to get into physio because I knew that's what I wanted to do. And, um, and then I got back into it in first year uni when I had a bit more time and I did a duathlon and I was like this is and by that time I'd done a fair bit more running like I was cross-country captain at school and I wasn't amazing or anything but I, I'd been consistent with my run training and so I'd been seeing improvements and um, and yes yeah, so I was like oh, I'll go and do these duathlons in winter and I signed up with one of the tri-clubs, did one of the introduction courses. So I learned more about like transitions and that kind of thing. Um, And then, yeah, I really got into it. um, And I realized like, if I'm going to compete with these guys, I probably need one of those time trial bikes because all those races were non-drafting on the bike Um, and did that. And then just um, kind of developed and really enjoyed the training. Like I trained with our friends that we were talking about earlier, like Mark and Andy, um, and was gradually I started you know somewhere in the middle of my age group finishing races and then I was like oh, okay if I want to if I want to beat those guys like I'm out running them by a minute um, and I'm, I'm okay on the bike I'm like just about there on the bike with them but my swim's a minute or two behind so then I was like it was the process of seeing my swim times improve and then I distinctly remember at, at the time I was in like the 16 to 19 age group and At the start of the season, the season probably goes, you know, those Gatorade series probably go for four months over summer or something like that. And um, by the end of that summer, I was almost coming out of the water with those same guys. And then I'd be finishing, you know, 20 or 30 seconds ahead of them because I could run them down on the run. And I was like, how cool is this? Like the more effort I put in, the better results I'm getting. And I was like, this is is cool. And I'm actually enjoying this and I'm seeing improvements. So anyway, um, then I started working and by that time I'd kind of moved more into the half Ironman distance a little bit more. And, um, and I guess I, I'd, I'd seen the next progression for me. I was racing open um, by that stage in like all these local races and I was doing fairly well in the open category against guys who were a bit older than me. And so I guess I thought I had some potential if I could keep training and improving and um and then i started working and hannah and i discussed moving up to the sunshine coast and i said to hannah if um if if we move and the finances are possible can i work part-time and she was like yeah let, let's do it if it works out financially that we can afford to then yeah, let's do it um so i did that and i was seeing more improvements because i could dedicate more time and energy to the training um and I'd had a whole host of kind of local coaches down in Melbourne, which, which was great. Um, and I enjoyed learning and, and um, being involved with the tri clubs down there. But when we moved up here, I I was mostly, I ended up just kind of coaching myself. And I was at this stage where I'd um, been doing well in the 70.3s as an age group athlete and was kind of generally in the top, say five finishes for the age group athletes um, whatever category that is I would have been probably 20 to 24 at the time but I would have been overall top five for the age groupers. but still you know 10 or 15 minutes behind the um, professional athletes and so I was like well I could probably qualify for my professional license but I don't want to make that step until I feel I'm ready Mm. because it's quite a different race in the professional field and I and I knew that and people had told me that and I knew that because the swim's so much more important and the bike is a lot more tactical rather than like a solo time trial type thing in an age group race and then even the run you know you can have surges and things as well if there's a group of guys together so anyway I was um I don't know actually on an overseas holiday um and I had Cairns 70.3 coming up and this was this must have been in 20 must have been 2018 and um we were in Barcelona and I was training and I was saying to Hannah like I know I'm getting better and uh and I really want to make this next step to the professional ranks but I think I really need someone who knows what it takes at that level who can be honest with me um and so I was looking around at the time there's you know various coaches particularly kind of in the U.S. and Europe and stuff um, and I was, I was researching and I found this um, coach who I now work with and have worked with for, like, three and a half years. Um, his name's David Tilbury Davis. And at the time, he was advising guys like Lionel Sanders, um, Cody Beals, who, you know, they were doing really, really well at that time. So I just shot him an email and I said, this is who I am and um, these are my results. This is where I want to kind of head but I want someone to work with me who's not gonna blow steam up my bum and tell me I'm amazing, but's honest with me and says, you know, no, your swim's not good enough, but this is what we need to do to get it to that next step so that you're ready to progress into the um, professional field. So, yeah, anyway, I ended up working with David from that point. And that was, I think by the time we started together, it was about three weeks out from CAN 70.3. And so I did that race and was first age grouper overall. There wasn't a professional race that day. There was just the Ironman is run on the same day, the full distance Ironman, and that has a professional race. So I was the first age grouper and I think I set a course record by about a minute. And um, I was like, okay, like I'm heading in the right direction. But, but at the same time, I watched um, that day, and some of your viewers might know these names, some might not, but, Javier Gomez, who's, like, multiple-time world champion Olympic. He's been to multiple Olympics. I don't know if he's got gold at the Olympics, but I know he got bronze a few years ago. Anyway, him and Braden Curry basically did the same time I did for the half Ironman, for the full Ironman, but even slightly faster maybe. I was like, oh, my God, how do these guys do that? Like, there's no way I'm ready. Like, what the hell? (laughs) So, anyway... David and I discussed a bit of a plan and I decided to do that would have been June, 2018. And uh, the Sunshine Coast 70.3 was on in September, August or September. So I went and did that. And I was first age group athlete there as well. And that day they did have a professional race at the same time. And I think I was, I don't know, I, I must've been top 15 or 20 overall and I was, some of my times were in the mix with some of the um, professional guys who are at the back end of the professional field. And so after that point, it was like, okay, I think the next step is to go into the professional field and, um, and, and give it a go. And luckily in Queensland, there's a few uh, more local races that you can do as an age group athlete without needing a professional license in the open category. So at the time there was, Yapoon, Long Distance, um, Harvey Bay 100, and Hell of the West. So I went and did those, and I think I even did um, Husky. And so I got to race guys like – I I raced Craig Alexander at Husky that year um, and a few of the up-and-coming guys like Max Newman and some other guys in that open category. And I, I, you know, I I don't know what the times were, but they would have beaten me by 10 or 15 minutes – um, but at the same time, I felt like, okay, I was like in the race a little bit and I know that I'm still improving. Um, and, um, and then I did my first Ironman 70.3 in the professional field at Sunshine Coast the following year. So there was a year after I'd, I'd been the first age group athlete. Um, and, yeah, I had a really good race that day. The, I think the race tactics just worked out in my favour. And um, I managed to sit on the back end of the front swim group, stay in the bike group, and then have a pretty good run. And I got third. Um, and Braden Curry won that day, and Steve McKenna got second. And so I was still a bit off Braden's time. And I think I was a minute or so, maybe two minutes behind Steve or something. Um, but at the same time, I was like, okay, it's been a year since I was in the age group field, and now I got third um here like okay I'm heading in the right direction and so that just affirmed that yeah we're doing the right things and this is probably something that I can continue to pursue and I'm not really wasting my time um (laughs) so yeah but I mean it's been yeah a lot of training um a lot of ups and downs like it's um yeah it's 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 hard I think there's a lot more pressure and anxiety that can come with um racing in the professional field if you're trying to pursue making a living you know in it because for me um i've got my physio degree so sometimes i'm like well, sometimes i'm like it would be so much easier to just go and work full-time and get a paycheck you know (laughs) um especially when you have a disappointing race um but i think i would have so many regrets if i did that too um so yeah
0: so i'm full-time you're full-time you're full-time in the in the triathlon team now yeah, yeah, so I did um,
1: Cairns Ironman in June this year um, and I got fourth fourth uh, in the professional field behind – I was a minute behind Josh Amberger, who, you know, is a guy that's been doing the sport for many years full-time and has great sponsors and everything. Um, Max Newman won and Tim Burkle got second. So I still beat a few guys that, you know, I was before the race, I was like, well, oh, I don't know how I'm going to go here. Um, but, I, you know, I'm in the mix. So, yeah, I, I managed to get um, a few sponsors after that. Um, our friend Andy O'Connor and our other friend uh, Brendan Ford, <laughs> so who both own their own businesses. And I think we had a discussion after that race and um, they were like, well, what do you need? What do you need? We want to support you. So, um, yeah, with their support, I've been able to um, just, Hannah and I just discussed, I'll just go full-time, for the next little while and um, and pursue it full head on and
0: see how we go. So, that is, that is yeah, awesome. that's where i at at the moment. <laughs> that's awesome, man. And there's, there's a few things I've sort of got an asterisk next to, next to that I want to, uh, that you just mentioned that I want to pick your brains about. The first one, just while it's sort of a little bit more topical, is um, I, I always, I'm always interested when, you, when any athlete is progressing through the ranks and all of a sudden the people they used to admire Start to become, you know, not just someone they admire, but someone they're thinking, "Hang on a second. If I have a good day here, I could, I could rub shoulders with this bloke, and perhaps even finish a a little bit ahead of them." And you're, you're speaking about the stress of, uh, or the anxiety that comes with having to perform to get your paycheck. And uh, I guess just, uh, just looking at both of those aspects, looking at the, uh, you know, the competitive side of these athletes that you, you know, you once would have looked up to, and you know, maybe been in awe of. Um, and also yep. having to perform to a degree where now it's like, all right, I I've got to try and beat these guys. How do you? How have you navigated that? Um, that headspace? Like, is it? Does it become less intimidating lining up against these guys? I guess especially now you're beating them, some of them, um, uh, more and more. Or is it still something where you, you catch yourself on the start like on like, hang on a second, this is this is ridiculous. The level that I'm competing at right here. Yeah, that.
1: Yeah, it's. I think. I think it's a gradual, for me, it's been like a gradual process of um, just realising that I've done the hard work and I deserve to be there. And, um, you know, these guys are all human. Everyone has a good day. Everyone can have a bad day. And I think just trusting in the training that you've done and knowing that you are good enough which is sometimes sometimes it's really hard you know and I wasn't anyone I wasn't a particularly talented youngster or anything like that I wasn't anyone who was like told they're going to be great and so I didn't have that big belief behind myself sometimes um so yeah I think it's just been a gradual process of believing in myself and trusting myself and trusting in the process that I've gone through to get to that race and also detaching a little bit from the outcome of a single race and realizing it's a process. And if you see, if you like, all you can do on that day is your best, right? So if you finish and it's 10th, but you've absolutely given it your your all or it's first and you've given it your all, like what, like what more is there? There's nothing more. So I think sometimes I have to come, come back to that. And then also looking at it and framing it of, um trying to look at certain situations that I might have anxiety around about tactics and things that might play out rather than being anxious about them, looking at them as like a challenge and, and being inquisitive about them. So like if I'm worried about the swim, it's like instead of being like, oh, what happens if so-and-so takes it out really hard and I can't get onto the group or whatever and, and reframing it and thinking like, um, but what if I could do that? how good would that be? Then I'll be in the, then I'll be in the race. And at the end of the day, like I said, if, if you do your best, that's all there is. And then you've got an opportunity to reflect on the race, what went well, what didn't go so well and come back to it and go, okay, well, this is what I need to work on for the next one. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, there's always going to be that sense of like, Oh God, these guys are the guys that I was watching, you know, two years ago that I was admiring going, gosh, they're so fast. And then all of a sudden you're running next to them. Um, but, but I don't, I, I don't have that sensation in the race really anymore. It's, I think I'm learning. Um, yeah. You kind of, there's kind of the racing Simon and there's the Simon outside of racing and they're kind of two different characters. And when I'm racing, like you have to be pretty ruthless about your decisions and how you're going to race. That doesn't mean you're unfair or you're cheating or anything like that, but you have to be, um, yeah, you have to be ruthless and you're in it for you with within the race. Uh, outside of the race, you know, friend, I try and be friendly with all the guys and, you know, there's no hard feelings or anything, but when we're racing, we're racing. And and they're all the same way. They're yeah. all the same way. And I think it took me a while to get, get my head around that because I don't come from an extremely competitive background Um, whereas I think some people it probably is a little bit more natural Um, so yeah I've had to kind of
0: develop that a little bit I think yeah man that's um you you, I love the way you speak of the psychology and I I love that um that little differential between the the bloke you are when you're not on you know the start line or mid race and the bloke you are outside of it and you were mentioning before that there's a, a simple strategy that you use Um, you know throughout the or or when you're dealing with the nerves of a a swim or the anticipation of what may or may not happen and just the the simple idea of a reframe is something that you touched on and whenever someone mentions reframing uh, I assume they've got like a little bit of an insight into the the world of psychology which in the the sporting scene is is obviously a powerful edge if you can master it and uh, I I was just curious to know like outside and we'll get into the training and stuff in a minute because I'm fascinated to know what what a week in your life of training looks like at the moment, but uh, when it comes to psychology, is that is that something that you've really invested in? Like, has it been a, an effort to develop the confidence, or do you as it sort of just the confidence has just followed the improvements? Yeah, no, I had like a, I had a like I'll be honest, I had a patch where I was really low,
1: um, and I had a lot of anxiety around races that were coming up, and um, it really affected my training and my motivation to train um and it actually came off the back of a really good race result um and then good old social media kicked in and um yeah so that really affected me so uh, I spoke to her I have had some sessions with a sports psychologist and so she has been awesome in helping me realize that um being able to reframe the way I'm thinking about certain situations, like we talked about in the swim or or whatever. Um, And then also realizing that um, sometimes other people's opinions don't matter that much. And like, I know what happened during the race and I know the way that I am. Um, And I would never, I would never take advantage in some sort of way that I thought was cheating or whatever. Um, And so Sometimes th- things are said um, and you just have to let them go. But it was hard. Um, and, yeah, so I've had a few sessions with the sports psych, and it's been really helpful for me because, yeah, like I said earlier, the anxiety around racing is is a bit high now. And it's just because there's more, I guess, on the line than, than when I was racing age group. It doesn't mean that I didn't care about my results and get nervous when I was racing an age group. It's just that there's a lot more to the professional racing in terms of tactics
0: and um, different dynamics within a race as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Craig Mottram used to always talk about the, the pressure there was to beat the Africans. I remember, did you ever see that, that documentary, The Big Mazungu or Mazungu or whatever it was called, that came out with Sports Illustrated? Uh, it was like back in 2006. I reckon he had just had his massive runs at the Melbourne Commonwealth Games and they, um, the, the Kenyans call him Big Mazungu. It means big white man. And yeah. uh, he, was, he was talking in that documentary about how hard it is to beat these Kenyans or these Africans. And he said, well, the reason it's so hard is because if these guys don't win, they don't eat. And uh, he goes, so when you've got that kind of pressure on the line, it's, it's bloody hard. And, and just hearing you explain the, I, I guess, the transition you've taken or, or the luxury that it would feel like just to be able to lean back on you. You know your physio degree, and and just get that consistent weekly income, and it's not dictated based on you know your race result or where you finish or how fast you finished your run or whatever. It's um it's a it's a really interesting uh, kind of thing to navigate, and I can understand that if you hadn't sort of done a little bit of work with the psychology, it could it could easily just run all over the top of you. But it sounds as though you've you've sort of established a really nice balance. And the reason I, I really want to put a pin in this is because. One of, the, one of the most common questions that, that people who listen to this podcast shoot me through on Instagram is, have you got any, res- uh, any resources around just dealing with you know, frustration, whether it's with injury or lack of performance or um, the plateaus that come or uh, just the expectation mm-hmm. that you have on yourself that you, you, know, you haven't quite reached yet? And uh, I think the beauty with your story as well is you, you weren't just handed, uh, I guess anyone who's performing at your level isn't handed anything on a, like a little silver platter but I, I think the fact that you didn't come from necessarily like you weren't winning national titles at 12 years old, no. you didn't feel no. like the world necessarily owed you <laughs> anything. And with that, I, I wonder how much of, uh, I, I always get the sense that a person in your position has much more of an appreciation for mm. for the hard work. Um, for uh, You almost present what you're saying with a sense of humility, which is refreshing, but But like, what are some of the strategies that you and your sports psych went through? Like, are there, are there any real standout points? Obviously you mentioned reframing. Um, I think, um, I think during,
1: during the, during the race in particular as well was um, uh, trying to, trying to remember all the things we discussed, but, but trying to come back to within yourself um, because Uh, especially, particularly, say, in the swim or the bike where there's tactics someone might surge or, yeah, really have to concentrate during that time. Um, And you can get quite, well, I I can tend to get quite externally focused around what someone else is doing or may be doing or might not be doing, Um, and then just trying to bring it back within myself. Um, so focusing on, say, say we're on the bike, like focusing on my position, trying to stay relaxed, how's my cadence, all the, all those sorts of things. So trying to bring a, bring it back within myself. Um, and then, yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's difficult. Like I have certain cues in the swim that when I get a little bit um, anxious or just things that will bring me back to within myself, because especially with swimming, like sometimes the more you thrash the slower you go so you still have to maintain technique uh, maintain technique and stay somewhat relaxed in the water in order to swim efficiently and fast so I've got like a little thing I we call it the triple h which is like hands hips and head so focusing on where my hands are entering the water and what they're doing where my head is in the water my head position in the water and then my hips as well because obviously you want your head and hips high in the water Um, then I've got another one on the bike and on the run that I kind of bring myself back to when I feel myself kind of um, beginning to become worried about the dynamics too much rather than just worrying about what I'm doing, what I need to do to have my best, my best result. Um, in terms of like uh, the other stuff you are saying, like I've always had a, a very long-term outlook on the sport and my progression. So I guess I never, I haven't had many injuries. And I mean, part of that's probably my, my physio knowledge and, and everything like that. But I think also um, I've always had a long-term view. So I've always thought that um, you're going to get the best results over a long-term progression over six months to a year and year on year, rather than trying to bury yourself into the ground for two months and then expect that you're just going to be world champion all of a sudden. Um, and I've always had like a, a bit more of a long-term view of things, which I think's helped. Um, and, but, there, but obviously there is times in training that you see plateaus and things, but I think sometimes also having things outside the sport that you just appreciate and you realise that sport's sport and you've also got a life outside of that. Um, so for me, like just going to the beach with Hannah and the dog and stuff and trying to just realise that how lucky we are and how lucky I am that I get to do this for now trying to pursue it as a full-time job, it's like, you know, such a privilege, it's something that I'd, you know, growing up, I never thought that I would try and be a professional athlete. Yeah. Um, so just sometimes bring myself back to realise that you know, I'm pretty lucky is, is also important. I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. That's really cool. So what's on the radar for you at the moment? Cause obviously, well, being being just in Queensland, I know you haven't been too badly affected by, the lockdown yeah. i'm not sure what it's meant for races and things like that but i guess with the the races that you're eyeing off they're not all happening in queensland so has it has it been a, an interesting period for you to navigate the the sort of last 18 months on the racing scene yeah yeah it's probably one of the worst times to try and make a living as an athlete when you've got no races <laughs> yeah. i mean
1: i've been i've been really lucky that, that our pools and stuff have been open I'm, i don't i don't know how the guys from You know, we had those periods where Victoria had no cases and a few of the guys would go to New South Wales or, or Queensland to do a race. But they've probably had three or four months where they haven't been able to swim because the pools haven't been open. So we've certainly had it a lot luckier in that regard. And I've definitely been able to put away, you know, months and months of good training, which has been great. But then on the other side of the spectrum, you've got very limited racing, um, and uh yeah so at the moment like um at the moment in queensland we don't have any cases which is great so i've got noosa triathlon which is an olympic distance race in two weeks and then three weeks after that i've got the harvey bay 100 which is a uh, middle distance like half ironman type race um yeah and then and then in busselton's about three weeks after that in december but I don't think I'll be able to get there. So if I if I can go, I'll go and do it. But otherwise I don't I don't think I'll be able to get there. My my training buddy up here, Lockie, who's coached by David as well, I think he's planning on doing um two weeks in Adelaide in in kind of at his grandparents' place to try and then get to Bustleton without needing to do like a hotel quarantine Mm. type situation. But I think from Queensland at the moment, I'm still, I think we're still like an amber or something like that for, for Western Australia. So I don't think we can get in unless We do quarantine. Yeah. So uh, okay. so at the moment really the plan is to do a few races then early next year in Australia, um, whatever I can. And then I'm um, thinking I'm going to head to Spain. Um, if, if it all works out, we'll try and find a somewhere where it's fairly low rent, maybe with another athlete or two and then go and do some European races. Yep. Yeah. 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 Beautiful, man.
0: I wonder, so are there different rules for you traveling to WA? Because I noticed the other, I don't know if you saw Jess Stenson or Jess Trengo formally. Uh, she just went and ran the, I think it was the Perth Marathon. She ran two hours, oh. 25, and she went over there from South Australia. So I wonder, I wonder yes. like, I know yeah. it's confusing, but there must is there like a little travel bubble situation going on between South Australia
1: not, and WA? I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I think it's because, south australia hasn't had any cases in say like the last month um, so now they're they're green and they can kind of go to and from wa i think that would change pretty quickly if if south australia all of a sudden had cases um, yeah. wa would probably say you know anyone coming from there has to quarantine um, so that's why my friends locky's gonna go to south australia stay with his grandparents for two weeks so he's effectively like quarantined
0: um,
1: and then and then try and get to the race yeah so yeah it's been a tricky time um but at the same time like the way i'm looking at it the moment is when i get to europe i just want to be really ready to go and race and try and mix it with some of the guys over there um because yeah it's been awesome being at a race against some really high quality athletes in australia but yeah i think in order to attract sponsors, like triathlon is not, not huge in Australia and there's not a huge amount of sponsorship. Um, and the, the kind of the reality is if you want to get sponsored, you need to be doing well at races. And so if you don't have many races to, to do, like it, it's, it's just been a bit tough in that regard. So, yeah, yeah, I'll probably try and head to Europe next
0: year and, and try and do, do well at a few races and meet a few people over there. Yeah, awesome, man. So yep. the uh, the triathlon scene over in Spain is uh it's it's a it's a bit more intense, eh? a bit more impressive in terms of just being able to attract that revenue through sponsors. And yeah, it's man, I've been, I don't know how much you've listened to the podcast, but I talk a little bit about how when I when I finished running, I was like, all right, what do I do with all this energy? And uh, dude, I started doing <laughs> stand-up comedy about two and a half years ago. And became, I've seen that, yeah. Like so obsessed with it, man. Like I just I just love it. Like, it's really weird how much. My, my passion and commitment to the running scene translated so beautifully and talk about, yeah. mate, like if there's one place you don't want to have a bad performance, it's, you know, a room full of a hundred people. And, <laughs> and I've had plenty of them as well. So Talk about so, the anxiety. <laughs> and talk about the reframing. Oh, it's fine, Tice. You're not a complete wanker. Don't worry about it. Um, but mate, it's, uh, it's been really interesting, but I, I can sort of sympathize with a lot of athletes. Obviously I'm not, I'm not attracting any sponsors or attracting any uh, revenue through the comedy scene but just in terms of being able to get out there and practice your craft it's it's been it's been a frustrating time so hopefully these next couple of months man we can uh both well i'm not going to put myself on your level i'm just going to say hopefully for your sake uh in the next couple of months yeah we can get back over, get you back over to spain and start pumping some some big races but i wanted to um i wanted to ask you did you say your your head coach's name is is dave david yeah david yeah, yeah. i wanted to ask about yeah. david so it, this is one thing i'm fascinated by so obviously uh in the in the running scene you you've got your one coach and you go all right you're my coach what are we doing but in the triathlon scene uh when you've got the you know you've got the bike the the swim the bike the run have you got does david serve as your your head coach and then are you going to other like is brent Ford helping you with your your swimming technique and things like that or like how mm-hmm. do you yeah. how do you navigate mm-hmm. who focuses on what and how they all blend together
1: good question yeah so um so david when we first started together was based in seattle in the us mm-hmm. and he's now in um, finland so we do all our correspondence through you know whatsapp and and training peaks some of your um, listeners are probably familiar with training peaks yeah. and um, so david oversees the broad outlay of all the training as well and the long term view based on what races we've got in say that year um, and then he also will structure the weeks um, as well. But I also, but I do a swim squad on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday here. Um, so basically, depending on what the swim squad coach kind of prescribes, will depend on then you know how tired or how much energy I have the rest of the day. So I just kind of have to manage that based on the sessions that I that David's given me in the back half of the day to do. Um, so like you know on a Wednesday I might have the swim squad for um an hour and 45 minutes in the morning and then I might have a three-hour ride and a run to do in the afternoon and then I'll just have to manage that um depending on how tired I am from from the swimming but yeah so basically David, David plans out all the biking and running um for the swim I've got the swim squad um and I use Brent for the technical stuff like you said so I, I tend to um, send Brent uh, like a GoPro video of my swimming underwater every probably on average four to six months because these changes to take time um, and takes a lot of like, you know, constant thinking about changing technique. Um, and then, yeah, on the bike, David sets all the programming and, for that, and training for that. Um, I've got a bike fitter up here in Coolham that I'll see if I have any, like, bike bike fitting problems because, um, you know, aerodynamics and fitting is very important on the bike. And then um, and then for the running, uh, David sets all the programming for that. And um, I've done a little bit of run technique stuff with another friend that I've got in Melbourne. So I haven't done much with him recently, but in prior years I, I did, which was good.
0: Not Paul um, McKinnon. Yeah, Call great man. Yep. He's a great he's been on a great, couple man. he's a friend of mine. Yeah. He? He's um, yeah, I actually yeah. I met him through here because I used to see him post his videos. I thought, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about, I reckon. And uh yep. and he's a good looking rooster as well. So I thought, all right, I'm gonna message him and go, <laughs> mate, I like, can I come, can I come over and we'll do a little coffee date and also uh also record a podcast. And I don't think he was overly happy with me referring to it as a, a coffee date, but he was good enough to <laughs> he was good enough to come on. And uh yeah, it's been <laughs> it's been really interesting. I've I've just seen his uh he's launched his um his, his online membership recently which I was I was getting stuck into him about earlier I was like mate like I reckon there'd be a a real interest in this and then I thought he'd forgotten about it and just saw a post pop up on Instagram the other day so um yeah yeah, yeah. now that
1: was I was I spoke to Paul on the phone for about an hour yesterday and we are talking about what he's been doing with his website so yeah he sent me through like his demo website and everything you know yeah it looks good I think you'll I think you'll do well with that eh? and
0: he um yeah, as you probably know, have you done a session with him? No, no. He's actually offered yeah, to yeah. to do a session together, yeah. and I just because I'm yeah. not competing at a at a super high level anymore, I'm a little bit like, oh, you know what? I'm not that fast. Like, uh, but in terms yeah. of like anyone who comes to me and says, "Mate, like, is there someone that you go to for technique work?" I go, "Hey, I got this. I got this, mate." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I do as well. Yeah,
1: um, yeah. He's 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 good, and and I'd 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 done various things in the past with. Coaches telling me to do this and that, but the way that Paul explains things is, I find quite different, and um, and I, I really like it, and I've really gotten a lot from from the stuff that he's given me. Um, yeah, and and so yeah, with the training as well, I've recently just started to have a little bit more input into it with David. So I've started kind of, this is only like the last two weeks, just um, because previously when I was working part time as well. I kind of just wanted to be a little bit of a robot and just like yeah. you tell me what to do. I'll just go and do it because I'm at work half the day and then I'm training. So I just want you just tell me, but now that I'm full-time, I want to have a little bit more input into it and try and take a little bit more responsibility for it. Cause I think it helps me mentally to plan for the weeks and months ahead and think about um, what purpose am I trying to achieve within a session? Mm. Um, so just taking a little bit, cause I'm, I was, I've was always been interested in like exercise physiology and testing and things. Um, and I, I purchased a lactate testing monitor a while back and don't use it that often. So I've started using it a bit more as well, just to, just to keep record of things and be, take a little bit more interest in like how I'm responding to the training. Um, and that's just for me to, and some people wouldn't like that. Some people would probably prefer to just you tell me what to do and I'll just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but for my brain i think it's good to take a bit of responsibility and question why are we doing this what are we trying to get out of it um so that's kind of a more recent thing that i've been been doing with david as well
0: yeah what does what the running side sort of things look like for you so um uh, like coming from a distance running background obviously we know all right seven days a week you'll have a couple of lighter days in there session on tuesday yeah. faster session thursday pretty pretty standard yeah. australian model like are you are you running every day or are there a couple of days where you're uh you know, you're just focusing more on the bike or the swim. Like, what does the, uh, yeah. the actual training structure yeah. look like? Yeah, I'd probably run. I'd probably
1: run like four or five days a week. I'd say,
0: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: yeah, and it, it varies depending on what races are coming up. Like, um, like typically there'll be like a long run on a Sunday and a long ride on a Saturday, um, and sometimes like a run off the bike on a Saturday as well, um, and then typically there'll be, depending on what the focus is at the time, there'll probably be some sort of lighter session Tuesday and then a bit more of a heavy session Thursday as well. And then probably just one easy run on Wednesday or Friday or something like that, like a 30 to 40 minute jog type thing. Yeah. yeah. But it really, it really does vary. And like, if we're coming up to a race, some of the harder runs might be straight off the bike. So you are getting used to the that feeling of running at pace on heavy, heavy legs. Um, and like a really specific session, but
0: that might only start three weeks out from
1: a particular race. Yeah. yeah.
0: That was one thing that Emma Carney said to me actually, and it, it sort of, it tripped me out a little bit because in my, in my limited experience in the triathlon scene as a young fella, I just assumed that, all right, if you want to be good at running off a bike, then yep. practice just running off a bike all the time. And uh, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this because Em was saying, she goes, uh she goes, no, if you want to practice running slow, then practice running off a bike. But if you want to get fast, yeah. like just go out yeah. and run fast. So I thought that's a really interesting perspective. And I, I didn't know enough to know whether that was like a universal mindset in the triathlon scene that, you know, go out and do the uh, the fast runs fast. Um, what is it? It's like a, a little bit of a trade-off, a little bit of a balancing act between, all right, well, you've got to do the fast stuff, but you'd also – you can't just let it be a complete shock to the system, getting off the bike with heavy legs and trying to navigate your way through.
1: Yeah, and obviously, if you if you've done like a two or three or four hour ride and you go and try and run hard off that bike ride, you've probably got an in, you've got an increased risk of injury as well if you're tired and your technique's not as good and everything like that. So, yeah, it's definitely a balance. Um, I some of my best races though have come off. Like I'll still do a hard session during the week when I'm a bit more fresh. Like, I, you know, like your faster run. Like say, so say for me, if I'm trying to run 320, 325 off the bike for a half Ironman, so for 21K, like I might do some sort of faster track session on a Tuesday. But then on a Saturday, I've got a specific bike session that's like two and a half hours with hard intervals. And then I'll run at 315 to 320 per K off the bike for some intervals, Mm. but that will only be specifically leading into a a race. So like two or three weeks out, but yeah, I think, I think most, I think most modern programs these days, a lot of the hard running is not off straight off the bike. Um, And probably because of the increased risk of injury, because you're already in like a, you know, a glycogen depleted state, you're fatigued, and then you're trying to run fast and you're just adding more stress onto the system, whereas you're probably better off doing that bike ride, recovering somewhat than coming back tomorrow and running fast when your system's a bit more ready and prepared for it. Um so yeah, there's different schools of thoughts around it and different different programs and coaches and athletes will do things differently.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Interesting talking to you or hearing you talk about the, the glycogen depletion that you're experiencing when you get off the bike because one thing that I was never really super focused on when I was training as a distance runner myself was, like, I was I was cautious as to what I ate, but I wasn't necessarily thinking about what's the best food to eat at what time to make sure I'm well fueled, to make sure I'm well recovered. I was I was yeah. usually like, hey, that looks nice, I'll eat that.
1: <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah
0: but obviously, like, once I once I uh, finished my competitive running, started training for a marathon, that started to change a bit because I was like, all right, well if I want to do this, well, I'm going to have to pay a little bit more attention to the fuel that I'm bringing in. And it, it almost seems like a, a whole nother leg in itself in especially the Ironman world where you're out there for, yeah. you know, if you've had a great day just over eight hours or hopefully soon just under eight hours, it's a, it's a long time to, to be out on the road and, and try and keep yourself uh, well energized. Like, is that, has that been something, well dumb question, but I was going to say uh, like, how have you navigated the that space of, of, of trying to, figure out what works for you, like from gels to, to liquids yeah. to foods to whatever it's else a good, is involved.
1: You know, it's, it's actually a good question because particularly the longer distance you go, the more important it becomes during a race, right? Um, whereas if you're, if you're racing a sprint distance, which is like an hour or an Olympic distance even, which is, you know, two hours, an hour 45 for the really fast guys, you can get away with not needing too much. Like, the guys will have something on the bike, but it's, it's not nearly what you need for, say, a half Ironman or a full Ironman. But then you've also got your day-to-day nutrition as well, which, like, you probably, when you're doing your marathon, you're, like, thinking about, okay, well, I've just run my 36K long run pretty hard, and tomorrow I've got to go and run again, or this afternoon or whatever. And you so you start thinking more as... Because you, you were coming
0: from, like, a... You used to run 800... Yeah, that a little right? bit, little bit yeah. further. Probably fifteen hundred to three k with the yeah, like right. the, the yeah. extent of my distances were were probably around the ten k, which is partly the reason I didn't focus a whole heap on you know that like even though it would have yeah. been a benefit, but yeah, as you're saying, yeah, like yeah. even with the halves that you're you're speaking about, it's it's interesting to know that it's not as much as a, a priority. Or the sorry, the sprints. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, in the sprint
0: you don't really worry too much.
1: Um, so you've got like day to day nutrition, and for me. Uh, I, I find like, especially now, now I'm work, not I'm training full time. Like the volume's gone up a little bit and I find if I have like, even if I have two or three days where I feel like I haven't eaten enough, that's when I think i become more vulnerable to illness and that kind of thing and become run down and I just can't get up for the next session. And it becomes like this snowball effect. So at the moment I'm just trying to eat like a lot of, like good food, but quite a lot of food. Mm. Um, and then um, nutrition during training has become a lot more of a focus for me as well, particularly. So I did my first Ironman in Cairns last year and then did my second one in June this year uh, at, at Cairns as well. And during training, so you're doing like, um, you know, four to five to six hour rides it becomes really important to fuel those because you've got a long run the next day. And if you don't feel them, you feel garbage for the rest <laughs> of the day and then, you know, halfway into the next day. So for me, that's just like having enough carbohydrates per hour on board, which, which also helps with then preparing for the race day nutrition. So yeah, particularly for the full, like, and even for the half distance, you have to, train your body's ability a bit to be able to take in the volume of fluid and carbohydrate per hour that you're going to need for the race. Mm. Um, and, you know, coming from, so when I was younger, I had a bit of, especially in year like 11, year 12, I had a bit of issues with eating and I would under eat and I, I got very, very skinny and my, like my family was quite worried about me. And it was a control thing um, because, I couldn't control, like, I'm quite a type A personality and I couldn't control the outcome of um, my exams and what score I wanted to get. Um, and But I could control what I was putting into my body, so I became very obsessed with that. And then I, when I met Hannah, actually, she kind of, because she had similar issues when she was younger and she's a bit older than me and she'd kind of gotten through it a bit and helped me with eating. And um, now I realise how important it is to fuel it. Um because it helps so much with being able to back up day after day. And, and that's the important thing is if you, if you don't have the energy to execute the training well, then you're not going to get the right stimulus your body needs to adapt uh, or to force the adaptation and therefore get, get the fitness. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to it. And I think, I think it's a big thing that I've become a lot more aware of. Um, and it's funny because my training partner, Lockie, like he's, he's an extremely good cyclist. And I always give him so much crap because he doesn't feel his his bike rides at all, and we'll always get to like three hours in, and he's like, "Mate, I'm stuffed." And we'll start a ride, and he's like, "He's like, yeah, I've, I've only got water today with me," and I'm like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> but he's so, he's so good on the bike that he can kind of fudge his way through it. Whereas for me, I know if I don't have enough on board, like I'll be in, I'll be in trouble. Like three hours in, I'll be I'll be really starting to struggle. So yeah, yeah I, like yeah we do a lot of volume in this sport because the swimming and biking you know isn't weight bearing so you're doing a lot more hours than you could do just as a as a runner um so yeah you have to make sure you're fueling, especially in those really long long sessions so yeah
0: yeah it's yeah it's a very important part of it <laughs> it's interesting man i'm actually i'm really interested in what you you sort of just mentioned about the controlled eating back when you were in year 12 and you were you know to try yeah. to control the outcome so I went actually through a really similar phase when I was about 14 or 15. I was living in WA yeah. and at my mum I, I just grew up living with my mum and she got super worried because I was in the exact same scene. I just started to think, all right, well, um, I'd actually just won my first state title over in WA. I was 13. And then I started to think, all right, well, I'll look at these Kenyan athletes and I was like, all right, well, there's nothing yeah. to them. And I looked at myself yeah. in the mirror and I had a little bit of chunk. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to just, I guess, just lose weight. And so, pretty yeah. much, no I reckon for eighteen months. All I was like, all I was comfortable eating was fruit. Like I, I, laugh about it now, but at the time, it was like a really serious issue. I remember oh, yeah. going out for dinner and yeah. asking the chefs, like, what oil are you using? Um, you know, what kind of pasta is it? And they're go like, mate, you're a pain in the ass. But I was, I was super obsessive, and I, I think a little bit. I'm probably, probably a little bit of a type A nature as well, man. Like I, I can, I can ease, not easily. I'm getting better at it. As I get, I'd say I've actually radically improved the way I've, uh, as I've gotten older, it becomes less of a factor in my life. But when I'm facing stress, or when I'm um, upset, or when I'm out of control, I can very easily get into like a, um, an obsessive kind of mindset from thinking to actions to whatever else. And I mean, there's a million strategies that have been that like literally uh, just game changers in my life that I'm sure you're aware of. But um, it's something that a lot of guys don't really speak about openly, I don't think, especially the the eating side of things. Because I um, actually I went to a couple of clinics when I was about twelve years old. With there was me and about twelve anorexic girls just sitting in a room, and uh, it was just a strange experience. Because uh, I was like, far out. Well, this is obviously something that either a lot of guys aren't open about, or a lot of guys aren't experiencing. And yeah, it's no surprise to me that that uh, you know people who are excellent. At what it is that they're doing, especially in the sporting scene, are a little bit of that nature because there's yeah. constant room to tinker, there's constant room to adjust, there's always a focus. It's it's nice to be able to use that energy well. But is that is that something that you've sort of? Uh, I mean, you're sitting here looking like the most relaxed bloke I've ever seen. So I assume that you've uh, <laughs> you've really started to take steps in the positive direction with that stuff. But but how did you navigate your way through that? Because because control mm. is obviously something that we never have completely. Um, yeah. Yeah
1: yeah it's I'm the same it's in my nature like even my brother he's you know like a corporate lawyer and he was he's just like you know he's a he's relaxed a lot more now but when and I probably grew up looking at him and how dedicated and focused he was to his studies and everything and I was like oh wow like he's just got that real commitment um and yeah so probably from in year 11 year 12 so 16 to 18 years of age like i was i was running more and it wasn't necessarily a performance thing for me but i i remember going to the the gp with my mum and and the gp was this older lady in her 50s and she's trying to tell me how it's just and to my mum that it's just a control thing and that i can't control uh what's going on outside with exams and my results and stuff so i can but i can control what i'm putting into my body and um at the time i remember thinking like you know f off like you don't know what you're talking about (laughs) and then as i got older i was like yeah damn she was so right but but it's like you said i you can laugh about it now and be like it's just like it's just food like you know and you need it to 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 perform and to to live and and the reality is if you if you're eating good food like like plenty of vegetables and nothing like really processed like you can eat a lot of vegetables and not worry too much about like how you look like because it's all healthy stuff um but uh yeah at the time for me it was like it was really obsessive and I was the same like I went through a stage where like basically all I'd eat was like chicken breasts you know um, and, and I'd be, get angry at my mum if she was using oil when she was cooking our food and, like, super obsessed. Um, and, like, even when I met Hannah in, in we got together kind of third-year university, I still had tendencies with things like at the time I was, I was eating a lot, like, basically only fruit and, and smoothies and stuff like that. Um, and I remember we, we kind of got together and she's like, what are you doing? like she's like she's like like, I know I know what you're feeling because I've been through it as well but like it's okay to eat cheese and it's okay to eat these other things so she kind of really normalized food a lot for me and then I got to the stage where I realized that um you know the that if I was fueling myself and I, I you know I think I think in year 12 so when I was 18 I got down to like 54 kilos at some stage yeah and I'm I'm like 175 centimeters so I was like I was really really skinny and um and uh yeah and then at the same time like then I got into triathlon in the first years of uni and then I realized like the the more I'm eating the better I'm performing and I'm putting on like I'm putting on muscle and I'm able to produce more power on the bike and I'm able to swim better because I'm stronger and I'm able to run better because I'm stronger. Um, and so for me, then it became like more a focus on not so much worrying about how I look and trying, Like, you know, I had that kind of, I don't know, you know exactly what the term for it is, but you, you look at yourself in the mirror, like you said, and you'd be like, oh, there's a little bit of this there and whatever, which, which becomes like a real obsessive thing. But then I just realized like, no, 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 actually the healthier I am, the better I'm performing, and what I actually really want is performance. It's not so much I don't really care that much about how I'm looking, and and like the reality is the the more you're performing and better, training better, the better your body's going to look because you're getting stronger and fitter anyway. So like it was just yeah, that's
0: a, that's but but point. like you
1: said at the time, it was it was it was like debilitating because it was so obsessive. Um, and it become became like you know that sole focus of like thinking about your next meal and what you're going to eat and who's cooking it and all that sort of stuff, which is it's not a good way to it's not a fun way to live, but yeah I, I mean it's it, in many ways it's a form of mental mental illness really isn't it um yeah. and luckily for you and I, we kind of managed to grow out of it and and relax around the way we look at food and stuff. But yeah, Yeah. and you're right. A lot of guys don't experience it. I don't think as much as young females and stuff, but I think they do some a lot do, and they just don't really talk about it as much either.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What's been so helpful for me is I I started to view my mindset towards it as um, essentially a, a, you know, like a weak muscle that hadn't been worked out. So for whatever reason that just resonated with me once I was like, all right, well, um, all right. So I'm having this issue again. But if I, I started to hear that if you start to develop the the ability to challenge it or to see it from a different perspective or to, uh, you know, just release your emotion uh, from a particular thought, which starts to to trigger these other emotions, it was, it was really helpful. So now whenever I go through it, I go, okay, well, it's just, just like, if I didn't go to the gym for six months, I'll, I'll lose a little bit of muscle definition. If I'm not working on, you know, my, my mindset and and the way I'm choosing to see things, then eventually that's going to get a bit flabby and uh, start to flare up itself. And uh, as a bloke, who's always seen the benefits of training that for me was a, was a game changer. So uh, I guess I say that as an encouragement to anyone out there who appreciates the discipline of distance running. And it it was always nice. I think once I started to meet a few people like yourself or uh, now myself, who realized that there's a, a life, which is great on the other side of these things, it's like, oh, so it's not this big, scary monster that's going to be there forever. It's like, just stop feeding it, which is easier said than done sometimes. Not literally, oh, maybe yeah. a bad choice of words with this particular topic. Uh, but, you know, stop feeding the emotion into it and, uh, and eventually yeah. it starts to die down. So that's been, a, that's been a real eye-opener to me. It can be so hard, though, as a, as a teenager when you've got all, like,
1: the anxiety around school and friendships and, and all that sort of trying to fit in and all that sort of stuff. It can be yeah, it can be so hard, but um, yeah, yeah. You just hope that, like, most people can eventually work through it, and like you said, kind of detach the emotions from it mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, but it's it's certainly a process, and even Hannah and I will talk about it every now and then, too. And and she she sometimes will go through phases where she starts to kind of, and we'll we'll check each other on it every now and then if we kind of see each other kind of tending towards, you know, it's like why aren't you? Like, have you eaten after you did that ninety-minute track session? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I had some orange juice like a uh, three hours ago. It's like, hang on, like, come on, come so. on. yeah, 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 yeah. So we, we we're good in that way. We'll kind of check each other on little <laughs> things that we know we we tend to kind of fall back into, um, which is really good. And and some people don't have that, but I hope you know they can find someone that can help them with
0: that for sure. Yeah, no, yeah, awesome, man. Yeah. Well, dude, I told you we'd talk for sixty minutes. We're already. 10 minutes over and I could keep chatting. So I'm not going to steal the All rest right. of your day. I've also just got a little <laughs> notification on my computer that says your, your disc is almost full. So I'm, <laughs> oh no. I'm going to, I was getting nervous and I was thinking fire out. I better, I better end this soon before I lose the whole podcast, but dude, mate, it's, it's good to finally catch up and uh, good to hear yeah. you doing so well. And yeah, Hey, just, just good to see your face. So thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me. Yeah. If, if people find value in it and in a few months time, and we want to catch up again, then we can
0: go for it. Absolutely. Mate, 100%. 100%. That'd be yep. great.